So me and my buddies were, uh, we got this crazy harebrained idea. I know that when you were in high school, you never had any crazy harebrained ideas, but uh, it started off pretty bad because it started off as a sophomore in high school, me going to purchase two cases of Lone Star beer. Okay, don't get all religious on me. This is before Jesus, so I'm going to talk about this. So um, first of all, the first mistake was it was Lone Star. That's the first, first thing there. The second mistake was that we were sophomores in high school, and I, had, I didn't make varsity that year, so I was playing on the JV, so I was in the band, so I was a band nerd that year. I played trumpet, thank you very much. And uh, so me and four guys, another band member and then, and then two other guys, we got this crazy idea. I was, I, we were at post high school, and we had to drive to Friendship up by Lubbock, and we were going to play a football game that night, so we had to, you know, get all of our band stuff together, jump on about three Yellow Dog school buses, and make the trip over to Friendship, over to Lubbock. And so we got this idea that, uh, A, we were going to go get two cases of beer. We are going to gather all of my eight-track tapes. Come on, somebody. Anybody remember eight-tracks? I had a guy after the first service said, he, if you ever need to record anything, I have an eight-track recorder. Wow, that was tall cotton back in the day. So um, we were having a good laugh about that. And so I had all my eight tracks. By the way, I joined the Columbia House Club. It cost me one penny. And I got ten tapes. What I didn't know is that there was some fine print on that ad. And it cost my mom a lot more than that down the road. You know what I'm saying? So I had all these eight-track tapes. I had Bad Company. I had Boston. I had Foreigner. Come on, the greats. You know, real music. As my daughter says, Daddy, they don't use auto-tune when they sing. I mean, this is like they really sang. So, we were, man, we were ready to go. Now, I had to go set this up because I was required to ride the bus, the yellow dog, to, on that trip. So I wrote a note. This is, man, it was going south, and then it went souther, even though it's bad grammar, but you get the idea. I wrote this note, and I signed my mom's name to it. Ah, Jimmy has permission to take his car to the football game. Now, I was such a coward that I had a friend take that to Mr. Stringer, our band director. So he hands off the note. We get on the road, and man, we are jamming. We are rocking. We're, we're, we're listening to Free All Right Now. We're jamming all the way to friendship. We pull up in the parking lot. I'm pulling my big old band uniform. Remember, they weigh like 75 to 100 pounds of pure wool, you know, and I'm going to put that on it. And it dawns on me as I'm getting, and I'm drunk too, by the way, I'm just completely buzzed. And I get out and I, it dawns on me, I didn't get my band instrument from the band hall. So I, I'm drunk. I drove my own car under the influence. By the way, it was a 69 Chevelle Super Sport. Come on, guys. Come on, men. It was a real car. So, muscle car back in the day. So, anyway, drove my car under the influence, lied, forgot my band instrument. Uh, forgery, yeah, forged. Thank you for your help and support. You remind me of my little brother, actually. So, so here I was in this situation and I walk up into the stands and all my friends are gathered around me going, oh, dude, you are so busted. You're so, you know, supportive high school peers. You know what I'm saying? I'm a peer group. 
And they're telling, oh, you're going to get, Coach Gideon is going to kill you. Coach Gideon was our principal, who was like the epitome of, of a sergeant, a drill sergeant, you know, in the military. Not only was he ripped and shredded at 55 years of age and intelligent, but he knew how to use a paddle. And I'd learned by experience because I'd had a paddling before, and that's for another time. But so I don't want to digress into that story. I have stories, just so you know. I lived a lot of life before I came to know Jesus, so some of you get it. So here we are, and I'm sitting there. They're playing like the first song. It's the first quarter, and I'm sitting there. All my friends are like, man, you're, you're in big trouble. Coach Gideon's going to wear you out. You're going to get suspended. You know, like I said, support. So I said, I turned to my friends. I said, I got to go tell Mr. Stringer. They're like, oh, no. I said, no, I, I'm busted. There's nothing I can do. Now, here's the thing. Even though I was a quite a mess as a kid, um, pretty wild and all that. I did have a big heart, and my heart was feeling heavy. I, was, I felt it. I was like, ah, uh, I really messed up. So I, I don't know if you remember this. Do we have any band nerds that would actually admit it right now? Do we have anybody? I mean, yay for you. Thank you. So um, they were playing The Horse. Remember that song? Does anybody remember The Horse? A couple of people nodding their heads. Okay. You're the real band nerds, if you remember that song. I walk down, they're playing the horse, you know, the band's going, and I walk up to Mr. Stringer. He's got his, his conductor here doing it. He's sort of standing there. I said, Mr. Stringer, I need to talk to you for a second. He goes, what, Jimmy? I said, um, I said I'm drunk. He goes, okay. <laughs> it's not, not what he expected here. I said, and uh, you know the note you got from my mom? I wrote that. It wasn't from my mom. And I brought my car. And I left my band instrument back at the band hall. So I was in trouble. Like, any way you cut it, I was in trouble. And I was deserving of some serious punitive action. So when the song was over, he, you know, handed the band off to his assistant. And he said, come with me. And so I followed Mr. Stringer. And I was like a lamb being led to slaughter is what I felt like. I felt like there was something around my neck and the executioner, there may be a guillotine out behind the stands. I was in trouble. And we get out to the Yellow Dog school bus. We jump up on it. He sits in one seat. I sit across from him. It's dark. We can hear the band and the game going behind us. And he looks at me. And what he gave me marked my life forever because what I thought I was going to get, I didn't get. Instead of punishment, which I completely deserved, he began to share about his walk with Jesus Christ on that yellow dog school bus. He shared the gospel with me. He shared the good news of Jesus Christ with me. And I sat there stunned, shocked, amazed. It was shock and awe. And I'll never forget it because you got the smells of the corn dogs cooking in the concession stand. You've got the sounds of cheering and football and band. And all this is going on and I'm sitting here and this man who could have easily, on any one of those infractions, had me suspended or worse, get licks from Coach Gideon. I would have taken the suspension in a heartbeat. He extended love and grace to me. He showed me. He discipled me in grace before I was a follower of Jesus. He shared the gospel with me, and I just sat there just blown away. 
Now that night, just so you know, I didn't, that wasn't, it was dramatic enough, but I didn't, that night I didn't, you know, fall to the floor and weep or go down on my knees and cry out for mercy. I, I was just shocked. I said, thank you. At the end, he, he, uh, he said, if you promise me that you won't drink on the ho- way home, I won't call your parents, you can take your car home. And so when we got out to the car after the game, to add insult to injury, my car had been broken into, not only were our two cases of Lone Star gone, praise the Lord for that one, but all of my eight-track tapes were gone as well. I know, you're feeling that, aren't you? So it was like, if, as if the evening couldn't have got, it's just like, wow. So we drove home in utter defeat. My friends were like, he did what? He what? I was, yeah, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? But what Mr. Stringer did, Jimmy Stringer, by the way, I reached out to him a number of years ago when we lived in Abilene. He'd been on my heart, and I just, he had gone into the pastorate up in Juneau, Alaska. And so I did it the old-fashioned way. Anybody remember the number 1411? Anybody remember that back in the day? I actually dialed a phone. I actually used a phone, and I traced him down, found him. And uh, he was in Juneau, Alaska, and I ended up talking to he and his wife both. And I thanked him for the mercy and grace that he showed this knuckleheaded kid who deserved nothing but punishment, but got nothing but grace. And I was able to tell him, thank you. Aren't we, or haven't we all been there before? Where not only did we make one bad choice, but that one bad choice was like a domino tipping at the, at the front of a row where it led to another bad choice, which knocked into another one. And before long, you've got a whole litany of really bad choices and you know you're guilty. You know you've messed up. Not only did you mess up, you messed up upon mess up on top of mess up to the point where you don't even know where it started, where the first domino tip. Anybody ever been there or I the only human in the room? Great, 15 of you. The rest of you are going to hell because you're all liars. <laughs> Come on. We've all been there because we have all <laughs> sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Scripture tells us. But here's what I'm so delighted to tell you about today. It's called good news. I've got good news. That on your worst day, in your worst moment, in the middle of your, your worst choice, your biggest mistake, God never loved you any less than He loves you on your best day on the mountaintop. He is crazy about you. Last week we started... A little two-part series, just a two-part message called Free Indeed. And I want to announce to you that if you are in Christ, you are free whether you feel like you are or not. In fact, I want you to go and look at the screen. I introduced this quote, I love this, some of you already have seen this, from Billy Graham. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to what, church? It is our job to love. Not to judge, by the way. Sometimes we slip into the throne. Excuse me, Father, I've got this. Excuse me, God, I got it. You mind if I sit there for a minute? It's like going and sitting on a throne of a king somewhere and thinking and somehow pretending you have some kind of authority that's been conferred upon your life when in fact it has not. You just feel like it for a minute. So we'll, we'll ask God to move and we'll sit on the throne and we'll go, oh, this feels pretty good. You know what? I think now I will be judge, jury, and executioner. 
for that person that wronged me, for that person that traumatized me, for that person that did me wrong, that person that betrayed me. I will execute judgment. I will hand down a sentence. It's called condemnation. I will condemn them. We've all done it. But I love the quote. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. I love the word convince. God's job to judge and my job to love. But look over to the... Just look beside there. I wrote a statement that says, God does not judge people. God judges sin. In fact, God judged sin by putting His very Son on a cross to become sin for us. The Scripture says Jesus not only took our sin, He became sin. In a single moment, somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, we don't know how, but He became sin in one moment. And when He took that upon Himself, it was as literally, it was as though God took a hammer and nails and nailed every sin you ever committed to that cross and to Jesus. With every blow of the hammer through His wrists and through His feet, it was your sin and my sin being nailed to the cross. Now I'm preaching. Help me somebody. Come on. And can you imagine in your mind's eye, just for a moment with your sanctified imagination, that literally if your sins were the only sins that Jesus took and became, that He would literally be covered head to toe and every inch of that cross would be covered to where there would be no wood exposed and no person exposed. It would be so covered. And that's just with mine and yours. But can you imagine taking on all of the world for you? Every piece of stupid you've ever committed is nailed to that cross. And the Bible says He died once for all. Once for all. That's what God did for you and me. So He judged sin on the cross and said, Jesus, in this moment, you're guilty of all of their sins. That's how Jesus became sin. And at that moment, it was off of us. Now, unfortunately, we like to take it back. Because we like to punish ourselves. Because we, we operate by a Puritan work ethic, which means if you mess up for this much, you've got to repay this much. And if you do this, you get this. And it's equal portions, but that's not the kingdom and that's not the gospel. The gospel is not fair, but it's God. And thank God it's not fair. It's just, but it's not fair. It's not fair because all the weight is on Him, not on us. And you know what we get to do? We get to enjoy it. We get to participate into it. We get to receive it. We get the benefit of His life being nailed to a cross. Look what Mother Teresa says. I love this quote. I expanded the quote from last week. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Let that sink in for a minute. If our time is taking up with judging, that means we're not loving. But let me say it and flip the, switch, flip the script on this. If we are loving, then we don't have time to judge. We just don't have time. There's too many of you to love. I'm looking out at, you know, 300 people here. I'm just going, wow. Every one of you are a work of art. Every one of you have been crafted by God. Every one of you are worthy of love because you're His masterpiece. He did this. Now, some of us need some work. Amen? We're not perfect, but we're being perfected. We're in the process. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever... Do we have any whoever's in the room? I'm a whoever. 
That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It doesn't end there. For God, so, for God did not send His Son into the world to judge, condemn, sentence the world. And some of us who've been in Christ a long time would do well to dwell on that just for a moment. Because some of us have forgotten what it was like before Jesus. Some of us have forgotten B.C. that we were knuckleheads too. In fact, some of us are knuckleheads and we're believers. We're followers of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Don't point. Just, just raise your hand. And just, just amen, but don't, don't point at your spouse. Love this. He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. John 3, 16 and 17. Now I want to skip ahead because we're reviewing just a little bit and I don't want to waste all of our time on that. So I'm going to assume you were here. It's online if you want to listen to last week's message. Just go there. So, who's running? Oh, Jason, bro. Go with me right here. All right, we're going to go to... um, John 8, 36, it says this, So if the Son sets you free, and what we're talking about is being free. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean when He has set us free? If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And free means this. It means exempt from moral liability. Why? Because He has taken on our mess. Because He's taken on our mess, we now have the ability to live free. That doesn't mean you're living free, but you have the capacity to. Did you know that the truth is not contingent upon what you believe? He says you're free, so you're free, but that doesn't mean you're always acting like you're free. Because if you believe the lie, then you're acting as though the lie is true, even though it's not, but your behavior will reflect it. Your emotions will reflect it. Your spirituality will reflect it. But here's the bottom line. You're free because He says you're free. Period. And the truth's not contingent on whether you believe it or not. Say this with me. I am free. For some of you, that's hard to say. Now listen to this. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the truth. He is the truth, period. Truth is not a concept, not a construct, not a philosophy, not an ideal or an idea. Truth is a person. It's the person of Jesus that's the truth that sets us free. Not a concept. It doesn't happen here. It happens here. It happens in this sense. You know in your knower that you're free. You know by experience that you're free. Now listen to this. Free people, free people. Did you know that if you're a person who is free, that means you're probably smiling more than anybody in the room if you know it. That means you might be up in ability, you have the ability to live up in a down world. It might mean that while everybody else seems to be screaming that Rome is burning, you're saying, so what? Let's get some marshmallows and have a, have a roast. Come on. Because when you know who you are in Christ, when you know you're free, you will act free and you will free others around you. Free people, free people. Now there's a flip side to the coin. Bound people bind people. I call them dream breakers. They're the ones who say, not only I can't, but you can't either. I won't and you shouldn't either. I don't, so you can't. They're the ones who, back in the day, would drive through movie house parking lots and look for church members' cars. Oh, you think that didn't happen? Guess what? It still does. These are the ones that are carrying their religion around like a weighted blanket. We got Faith, my daughter, a weighted blanket. Have you ever seen one of these? I'm so clueless. I didn't know. 
I nearly ripped my arm off yesterday trying to pick it up because I thought it was a regular blanket. So I walked by our bed, and I'm just going to grab it. And I mean, I like nearly pulled a muscle. I'm like, well, how? this thing weighs like 75 pounds. A lot of people, it's supposed to bring comfort. I don't know. It feels heavy to me. But a lot of people, a lot of people, listen to this. Were you going to correct me there, Mama? Talk to me. Oh, it's only 12 pounds. So I exaggerate a little. It felt like 75 when I tried to pick it up and wasn't expected it. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me, honey. So where was I when truth broke in? We were... Here's the deal. Listen to this. Some of us wear our faith around like this blanket. 12 whole pounds of blanket. It's a heavy blanket. We wear it around. We carry it around. We drag it around. It's weighing us down. We're, we're, we're under it. And, and the thing is, is that misery loves company. Ah, I hate that cliche, but it's true. And so if I'm in bondage, you know what? You need to be in bondage too. If I'm unhappy, you should be unhappy too. If I have no joy in my Christianity, and I'm just mad at everybody and mad at them, here's when it really gets dark. Where you're wearing three of those blankets. I, I can't do the math. I don't know. Two of them, 24 pounds. 36. 36 pounds, three of them. You're carrying it around. And not only are you miserable, but now you get mad at the people who are in freedom. Ah. <sighs> What are they doing? They must be not, they're not reading the Bible. They must, not be, they must not have all the truth because they're so happy. They're so joyful. They're so free. They just, they just go and live their life and just have a good time and things seem to work out for them. And wheels are falling off in my life. I'm miserable. Doggone it, everybody else is going to be miserable around me. Misery loves company. Free people, free people. Bound people, bind people. So I'm going to move forward. Let's go to, uh, if you would, Jason, John 8. Listen to this. The title of this section is Neither I Condemn You. Some of you are going to recognize this passage where Jesus did a shock and awe moment. Listen to this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, He came again to the temple. All the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught Him. This was His M.O. He would show up in the temple. Later, Paul would do the same thing on his missionary journeys where they would show up in the temple and they would reason the Scriptures and they would take the Old Covenant, which was the written Scripture, the scrolls, and out of that, they would teach about Jesus and the coming prophecies. So Jesus would come and sit down with them. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the moment. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So they literally bring her in and basically throw her in the middle of a bunch of men as if she's not already humiliated. And it begs the question, where's the dude? Where's the bro? Where's the guy who participated in this heinous act of adultery? But no, they bring the woman in and they humiliate her and they put her through and then they're going to call for something which is mind-blowing to us in our day. Because the bottom line is this, if you've looked on someone to lust after them, you've already committed adultery in your heart, we're all worthy of stoning. Hello? Hello? 
Now look what happens. The scribes and Pharisees brought her in, placing her in their midst. They said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. They're just announcing this. Can you imagine how serious they were? She's this vile creature. And some dude's walking around out there talking like locker room stuff. I don't know. Where is he? Why didn't they bring them in? You know, religion always parses out exactly what it wants to do and see. And splits hairs with law and Scripture to do exactly what it wants to do. Instead of saying, what does the Bible say? And now, under grace, I'm going to line up and align myself with God's Word. But, but religion says, I'm going to align myself with my preferences. And what I'm comfortable with. I learned a long time ago that people are a lot more important than preferences. So listen to this. Verse 5, now in the law, so now they're going to bring up the law to Jesus. They're going to try to pin Him in. Moses commanded us to stone such women. And what is stoning? It's not smoking a reefer. Here's what stoning is. Sorry, my mind's a little back in the 70s right now just because of that opening story. I'm driving my car now. So here's the thing. They would take rocks up, large rocks, and they would gather around an individual who was worthy of stoning, who'd been condemned to death. And this is how brutal it was. Talk about Philistine style and primal. They would take these rocks, get over that person, and they would literally pummel them with rocks, heavy rocks and stones. Now, can you imagine being in the middle of a group of people who are going ape nuts and going primal? And the most base of human acts in picking up a rock and crushing somebody's skull with it. And everybody cheering it on like, yeah, yeah, they deserve it. And they're saying, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say, Jesus? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. They didn't give a rip about her. All they cared about was trapping him. So not only was she used in adultery, now they're using her for their purposes. So once again, she's being violated here. And look what happens. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Because that's what you would do, right? It's logical. He bends down. And we don't know. I read the commentaries. I read the theologians. I read the, I read the notes. No one knows what he wrote. Oh, we can speculate, right? We can fill in the blank. Could it have been forgiven? Could it have been grace? Could it have been love covers a multitude of sins? Could it have been maybe something he had said in the Sermon on the Mount? Could it have been, but there for the grace of God go I. Who, who knows what he wrote? It's not even relevant what he wrote because the Scripture didn't include it. In fact, left it very open-ended for us to wonder, to postulate, to speculate. But here's what I believe Jesus was doing when he went down on the ground. I don't think it was just so he could write, and, write in the, in the, on the floor there. I think he was getting on her level. Because that's what he did for me. <laughs> Man, I'm this little drunk kid who just drove my car an hour with three other guys in the car I could have killed. 
And I'm sitting there with my band director, and he gets down on my level, sits in a seat right across from me, and he extends grace. You know what what Jimmy Stringer did for me that day? He was extending to me the grace that he himself requires. Because he realized that to whom much is given, much is required. Freely give. Freely you've received, now freely what? Come on, help me. Give. That man sat there with me. I don't know, maybe he pulled a stunt in high school. I don't know. Probably did. But for whatever reason, in that moment, he did what Jesus did. He got down on my level, eye to eye. Jesus is down there with her, and whatever he writes in the dirt or on the, in the, in the, on the floor, look what happens. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground, verse 7, and as they continued to ask him, they're badgering now, they're going, what is, what is he doing? They want to know. They're demanding an answer because they are so hell-bent on trapping him. That they are demanding an answer. You ever had anybody try to back you into a corner? That they're so bent on getting you trapped or tripping you up or winning an argument that you're just like on the ropes. Jesus being Mr. Cool, literally. Literally. Look what happens. As they continued to ask Him, He stood up and said to them, Let Him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Dramatic pause. Can you imagine that moment where what he just said is sinking in? Because you know they were lining up. This was rehearsed. They knew what they were doing. They were ready to go. They're going, all right, you, 20-something. All right, you're going. You're going to throw the first rock. And then when you do, I will. And then after I do, he will. And man, they're like, they got it all. They're ready to go. They're going to they're gonna do this. Brutalize this, this woman. Jesus lays it out. Let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. There he goes. He's going back down to her. I think, again, postulating, it's just me. Because this is the nature and character of Jesus towards me and my history in God. Is I think he was bending down and while they're ranting, while they're ranting, have you ever known any Jewish, you have any Jewish friends? Jewish folks can rant. I just, that's not a cut. That's an honest observation. It's what we saw when we were in Israel. They'd be yelling at each other on the phone. We think they're mad. They're not. They're having a conversation. I mean, literally, it's intense. It's an intense life. That Eastern culture, it's different. It's not West Texas nice like we all. We all are. We rant when we get off the phone and we go on Facebook and rant. But we don't rant to somebody's face because that's fighting words, right? So we just don't. We do it behind their back, and that's okay, right? So he bends down, and I think, this is what, my, what I think. I think that while they're ranting and they're carrying stones, he's looking at her and he's going, I got you. It's going to be okay. I got this. It's all right. Just hang in there a little bit longer. Hold on. You're going to be okay. Igbok. Not Ichabod. Igbok. I-G... It's going to be okay. I think he was telling her, it's okay, got this. You're going to be all right. Because you can imagine the fear. A bunch of ravenous men over you just can't wait to unleash the full force of the old covenant, the full force of the law. Oh, we have every right to be animals right now. The law gives us the right to be animals. Whew. 
So here's what happened. Once more he bent down, wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one. I love this little note, beginning with the older ones. Why the older ones? It's because they had a few more miles under their tread. They were smart enough and wise enough to get it. Jesus, who they were trying to test, who they were trying to back into a corner, flipped the script on them, and now they're caught. Because if I throw the first stone, I'm actually saying, I am sinless. I am clean and clear. I have no sin. And none of them could do it. And the older ones were the first to recognize, but how, I don't know about you, the older I get, the more screwed up I realize I am. Am I the only human here? The less, the less answers there are. You think, man, the older you get, you get wise. Wisdom doesn't mean you have more knowledge. It just means you have more insight into how depraved you really are. Amen? Welcome to adulthood. You realize you don't have the answers for everybody. You realize you're not the Messiah for the world. You realize you don't have it all together. And that's called humility and wisdom. That doesn't mean you go around beating yourself up over it. You just go, you know, I don't have that figured out. So I'm going to reserve my judgment on that because... I don't really know. I don't have all the answers. So let's land the plane on this. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. You've got to understand the younger ones are going, wait, what are y'all doing? Wait, we're, we're, I was excited. I'm ready to go. I got my stone. And they go by, and then they all go away, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. At this point, he's still on his knees. He's still down here. They all walk out, and the only person there is the woman and him. Jesus stands up. Look what happens. Jesus, in verse 10, stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? By the way, woman here is a term of endearment. It's not like if I was to go to my wife and go, Woman, bake me a pie. That's, that's disrespectful in our culture, but in that culture, he was, it wasn't like it. You've got to be careful when you're reading the Scripture not to put a template of our culture over theirs. You get what I'm saying? So it was a term of endearment. He's actually addressing her very obviously, woman. Very tenderly. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, oh, let this resonate in your heart. For those of you who feel like the woman caught in adultery, you screwed up last night. This morning on the way to church, how many of y'all know it gets weird on the way to church? Just getting ready for church can be a nightmare. Come on. Every day of the week's normal, and then Sunday, all hell breaks loose when you're just trying to do your hair. I mean, it just messes everything up. Why Sunday? And you come in, and you can't worship because you just blew up at your wife or your kid. You're swatting your kid over the back seat when you're just trying to get to church. Or somebody pulls out in front of you, and you go ape nuts. You go postal. No offense. You go postal. We have postal workers in here who I value and love very much. You just go crazy all of a sudden. And then you walk into church and they're singing and you're like, oh, I want to, but I'm a, I just totally messed up. I'm a dork. I totally messed up. Ever feel that way? Or am I the only one who walks in like that sometimes? I so appreciate our worship team. Amen. You know what they do for me? Sometimes when I walk in and I come in while they're practicing, they lift things off of me. They don't even know they're doing it. I walk in and I hear worship. I'm like, whew, okay, poof, it's gone. I'm good. I'm good. And in the, the songs they're always singing when I walk in during, 
it, it's, it's always lifting. It's always pointing me to Jesus. It's always reminding me of my identity in Christ and who I am. And I walk in, and by the time they finish a few bars, I'm good to go. Let's go. I'm free. I'm clear. Praise God. She says that Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. Okay, look. Here we are. This is us. Where's Waldo? You are here. Right here. This is where we find ourselves today. They're not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. But stop. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Walk free. Live free. Breathe free. Go and actually enjoy life. Jesus extends to her what Jimmy Stringer extended to me. And somehow, some way, what He wants to extend to you right now, right here. That is freedom. That is grace. That is throwing off this religious weight, this 12-pound blanket. Get that right? This 12-pound blanket, throwing it off of you to say, I'm free. I'm not bound. I'm free. And because I'm free, I now have the privilege of helping free others. That is your call. Your call is to love well. That's your job, your assignment, your role, your mandate is to love well and to free people. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And we look a little bit like Him as children, as sons and daughters. I want to end with this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, that means the principle. For the principle of the Spirit of life has set you free. Say, I am free. Now somebody say it like they mean it. I am free. That should be your declaration. There's your homework assignment. All week, tell yourself, I am free. And in case there's any devils listening or anybody else, they need to know that you know you're free. Because as long as they think you're not or you act like you're not, they're going to leverage that against you and you won't live like you're free. But if you'll say it, you'll begin to believe it because faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the message, by the word, by the gospel, by the word of God. So speak, declare the word that you are free. And guess what? You will start to act free, live free, believe you're free, and actually be free. And as you do that, devils have to, man, they'll get nervous when you get up in the morning. If you know you we sang about it. And if you know you're free, they just all hell just trembles when you get up in the morning. Right now, if they yawn with you when you get up, then we're not being effective. Amen? <laughs> Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you that as I look out over this, I don't see bound up people. I see free people. Because your word says they're free. They are free. Even if they don't know it, even if they don't believe it, they are. And Father, the truth isn't contingent on what I believe so we stand on the side of truth, not on the side of feelings or emotions or our current mental state. We stand in truth and we declare we are free people. And because we're free, we now will free people. So Lord, this week, I pray that as we go out of this place, starting at lunch right here, starting in this hallway, that Lord, freedom will reign. Freedom will reign. And that we will be free people who are free. Lord, bless and courage, strengthen. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.